Well, we're looking at resistance tonight. We've all had resistance to the things that God wants us to pursue, the things that God has put in our life, the gifts, the callings. We've had uh, even resistance in hanging on to sound doctrine. We'll see uh, a lot of that going on today. Paul warned about it, that people would stray from it. So there's a lot of resistance to the good things and it pushes us towards the, the bad things. And we're going to see this here in Ezra. There will be three kinds of resistance that they face. I'm not telling you that there's only three kinds of resistance. I'm telling you that here in Ezra, they face three different kinds of resistance. You could probably make up a, a list that would include more than, than these three. But since we have these three here, we will take a look at this. We're also going to spend some time on history. I think I mentioned to you last, last week when I was, thought I was getting ready for this one. I spent a lot of time reading up on the history of the Persian kings to get a good feel of this. Uh, it was it was helpful in some of the ways we want to go because there are some real problems with this chapter as far as history is concerned. And so we want to try and help solve some of that. So let's, let's uh, dig into it here in Ezra chapter 4 verse 1. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the fathers' houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God, as you do, and we have sacrificed to him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. Now, I wanted to look this up because I was, you know, sometimes you get those verses that just kind of stick in your head. I know there was something, and there was something in here. Over in Second Kings, I didn't put this in your outline. You can write this in there if you want to go check it out. But I'm going to read it here for you. I want you to see how they sacrificed to God. In Second Kings chapter 17, we're going to begin reading at verse 24 and go through the end of the chapter. Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kufa, Ava, Hamath, and from Sephar, Vayim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in, in its cities. And it was so at the beginning of their dwelling there that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations whom you have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Therefore he has sent lions among them, and indeed they are killing them because they do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Send there one of the priests whom you brought from there. Let him go and dwell there, and let him teach them the rituals of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away captive from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. However, always like that when the word of God says however, don't you? Every nation continued to make gods of its own. And put them in the shrines and the high places which the Samaritans had made. Every nation in the cities where they dwelt. The men of Babylon made Succoth, Benoth. The men of Kuth made Nergal. The men of Hamath made Ashima. And the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak. And the Savharvites burned the children in fire to Adremelech and... Uh, boy, this one... Anem Melak, the gods of Sepharim. And they feared the Lord, and from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. 
That may sound real similar to what the Samaritans had done before. Under Jeroboam, they made priests out of every tribe. This is kind of like what they're doing here. They feared the Lord, yet served their own gods according to the rituals of the nations from among whom they were carried away. This is not too far from today. There's a whole lot of Christians. They fear the Lord, but still serve other gods. They have other gods in their life. And this is what they were doing. To this day, verse 34, to this day they continue practicing their former rituals. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances or the law and commandment which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel, with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, You shall not fear other gods, nor bow down to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them, but the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt great power and an outstretched arm, him you shall fear, him you shall worship, and to him you shall offer sacrifice and the statutes, the ordinances, the law, and the commandment which he wrote for you, you shall be careful to observe forever, and you shall not fear other gods. And the covenant that I have made with you, you shall not forget, nor shall you fear other gods, but the Lord your God you shall fear. He will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies, however... They did not obey, but they followed their former rituals. So these nations feared the Lord, yet served their carved images. Also their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did, even to this day. That is the history. Now, you could really have some fun with this. We're not going any more deeply into this. But you could ask the question, at least these are the questions I ask. Did God send the lions? Or did the lions just happen? And they look for things to, to blame them on. Because if God sent the lions, why did they stop when they did not obey what God said to do? So, we're not here to study Second Kings chapter 17. Maybe one day we'll get back in. I know we've done some things on that before, but let's stay over here in Ezra chapter 4. Now we know something about these folks when they say we we have been sacrificing to him they are telling the truth they have been sacrificing to him but only because they were afraid of the lions that were coming into the land they were still going after their own gods and they still made their own gods that they wanted to in verse 1 let me read this for you again now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin these folks are identified right off the bat as adversaries but they come in in verse 2, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do, and we have sacrificed to him since the days that the king of Assyria brought us over here. But, verse 3, But Zerubbabel and Jeshua, the rest of the heads of the father's houses of Israel, said to them, You may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. There are a whole lot of people who want to undermine you, but they may first try and work alongside you. They want to undermine you. That's their goal. That's their, their uh, goal in life. They want to see you fall. They want to see you not do well. But the first thing they generally try and do is to work alongside you. Pretend to be your buddy. They pretend that they have the same goal as you do. These people are identified as adversaries. They are false worshipers of God, but they claim to be true ones. Now, have you ever had it where you've had people in your life, they've come along, they said, we want to help you, we want to go along with you, and you say no. 
and then they turned into your enemy and you began to think, if only I had cooperated with them, maybe they wouldn't be my enemy right now. Take heart from from Ezra chapter 4. They were your enemy. They pretended to be your friend. When you followed your spirit and your spirit said, don't trust them, that put pressure on them and they exposed who they were. But a lot of times we'll get into, we'll get convicted afterwards and we'll say, oh, if only I would have cooperated. Why did I, why did I stay to this? Why did I uh, not uh, reach out to them? If your spirit is telling you, don't do it. Don't do it. I remember a story Brother Hagin told us that when he was first getting started in the uh, teaching ministry he had outside when he left pastoring, he said there were some men in Texas who wanted to underwrite the entire thing. Everything he wanted to do, they said, we'll, we'll, we'll rent offices for you. No charge for you. We'll, we'll fill it with all the tape duplicating equipment that you need. And we will take care of all that. It won't cost you a dime. I mean, it sounded like a great deal. A real big help for, for him. These businessmen wanted to do that. And the Lord said to him, don't do it. They want to control you. <laughs> don't do it. So he turned the deal down. And it didn't go so well for him in the in the beginning that it would seem like, well, if I just would have gone with that, I would have had all these things. The ministry may have gotten off a little quicker. But the Lord said that to him, and he didn't listen to what they wanted to do. He listened to what God said to do. Stay with that. When your spirit on the inside is saying, don't go with them. I don't care how nasty they turn. Do not think that if you would have been kind, if you would have been nice, that it would have been any different. If your spirit is saying no, (laughs) then listen to your spirit and don't join up with them or let them come alongside. This is not just in in church related things. This can be just in business, just at at your uh, wherever you work. People are going to try and come along and they just want to undermine you from they want to take the position they think that you're up for. And if they work alongside you, they can undermine some of the things. They can steal some of your ideas, whatever it might be that they will do. Just because people say they want to be on, they want to help you doesn't mean that they actually do. Be careful with that. But they said they had, they must have had it down in their spirit. You will not help us. You will not build the house of God with us. We will build it ourselves as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. He didn't command you, he commanded us. So don't let them work alongside you. Verse 4. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building. Now this is the, the first level they went at. They tried to help them to undermine them. That didn't work. So now they're going to try and discourage them. He doesn't give a whole lot of detail of what they did. But if you can think of how people have discouraged you. Uh, not encouraging you undermining you to different places that, you, that you've gone, whatever kind of things that they can do to make it harder for you to get things done. Talk to some of the people that you need to buy materials from. Don't sell to these people. I'll give you some money if you won't, if you won't do that. But these, these folks are really vested to stop the children of Israel from building this temple. And you've got to wonder why. It's not, a, it's not affecting them. They're not taking anything away from what the Samaritans have. 
They're taking old beat up rubble that has been sitting there all these years and they are fixing it back up again. Nobody else has wanted this stuff. They're just coming in and taking the same altar, the same area of the temple, and just fixing it right back up again. They are using the very foundations that were there, not tearing anything else down. But this is where the kingdom of darkness is. Don't be in fear in people that are trying to discourage you. Don't be in fear of people that are trying to undermine you by coming alongside. Don't be in fear of them. Follow the voice of your spirit. Go on here, verse 5. They not only tried to discourage the people of Judah, they not only troubled them in building, and for that kind of a picture, I kind of imagine as they're out there building the temple or building the altar, they're coming in and saying, oh, that's off here, or that's they're just doing all sorts of stuff to distract them. But it says they hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, until even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So they, all these days, they hired counselors. This is costing them money. I don't know if they have public funds. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're just taking their own pocket money. And they're just using their own money to to do this. That's how invested they are in this thing. They want to make sure that they bring them down even if it costs them money. So they hired counselors against them. I don't know how these counselors... Uh, did so? Did they hire them and say, go in there and tell them how to build and tell them wrong? I, I don't know exactly what they did. He doesn't give us a whole lot of details. He just tells us these are the things that have went, had gone on. They tried to undermine them from inside. That didn't work. They tried to discourage them. They tried to trouble them. And then they hired counselors to frustrate their purpose. They want to frustrate them. You ever have people in your life that frustrate you? And they did this all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, before you get to the more direct resistance, and there's a lot more direct resistance that you can have in your life, and these folks are going to have some more direct resistance, but before you get there, the enemy is going to try these more subtle ways first. If he can get you discouraged, if he can get you frustrated, you will stop yourself. It's a whole lot easier for the enemy if you stop yourself than if he has to stop you. Much prefers that you just stop yourself. You just say, oh, I'm just going to quit this. I'm not going to keep going. I'm frustrated. I'm discouraged. This is just harder than I thought it was going to be. I don't want to keep pressing on. And you just stop yourself. Well, his, his, uh, he's got there. Now, these people, they are not accidental serpents. We've been talking about don't be a serpent on Sunday mornings. These are not accident, accidental serpents like Peter. Peter stumbled into the area of being a serpent, speaking the words of the enemy. But this was not accidental on their part. They intended to be serpents in their life. They intended to be ones who were leading them in a wrong direction. They started out wanting to help. They rejected that. Then they come in and try to make trouble. They hire counselors. They try to frustrate their purpose. They're trying to discourage them. If the people of the land had been true worshipers of God, they would have wanted the work to go on no matter what involvement they had or didn't have. A true worshiper of God just wants to see the things of God go on. People who are in it for another purpose do not. And that will show you. All you got to do is put a little bit of pressure on. Sometimes you get people 
oh, they, they want to come along beside you. Well, just sit there for a little bit and uh, let's just see how things go. Oh, no, no, no. And they try to put pressure on. Well, the, you're exposing some of the things that are inside. And um, yeah, just be, be real careful about that. Uh, sometimes you may want to just go, you know what, just hold on a little bit longer. Let that pressure build. It will, it will bring out the character that's in there. Because people who are truly in it to serve God, hey, if you want me to sit back for a little while, I'm good with that. They're fine. As long as the things are going on with God, they're all right with that. Now, here we get, we're going to get into some of the problems of this passage, this chapter. This is the area where they, they employ legal barriers. They employ something a little stronger. So we're going to go after this in a legal way. Maybe you've encountered that kind of uh, opposition, that kind of resistance. This is what's going to happen next. In the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Artaxerxes, also Bishlam, Mithredath, Tabel, and the rest of their companions wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and the letter was written in Aramaic script and translated into the Aramaic language. Rahum, the commander of Shimshai, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to King Artaxerxes in this fashion. From Rahum, the commander, Shimshai, the scribe, and the rest of their companions, representatives of the Danites, the, I'll tell you some of these words, Afar, <laughs> Seth, Chites and the Tarpalites and the people of Persia, Erech, Babylon, Shushan, the Havites, Elamites, and the rest of the nations whom the great and noble Osnapper took captive and settled in the cities of Samaria and the remainder beyond the river and so forth. And um, <laughs> I always like that and so forth. We see that a couple of times it shows up here. Uh, you know, it just it goes on. They don't want to repeat all that sort of stuff. But this this one right here, Ahasuerus, who is Ahasuerus. Now, we've already had Cyrus mentioned. We had Darius mentioned. We now have Ahasuerus mentioned. And then we also have Artaxerxes. So these are some, these are kings of Persia. Now, here's the problem with that. Can you pull up our graphic for us? We got a, a graphic here. If you are at home and you are on the email list, you have the graphic in your email. If, uh, if you are here, the, um, Graphic will wait for you at the house, but you can see uh, most of this. You folks at home are getting a much closer look if you pull it up on your email. But this this is the good enough for his. This is Cyrus. This first king right over here. This is the first king of Persia. He is Cyrus. That is his, his reign on a timeline. After this, Cambyses is next, and there's also a very very short one. In fact, his his time in history is so short. Some people don't even believe that he was he was there. Um, I've seen his name pseudo or fake, but pseudo, uh, Sardis, I believe his, his name was, he only reigned for, at best, it looks like six months. So they kind of just kind of sandwiched them all in, in back in here. We have Darius. There's Darius the first. There's going to be Darius the second. And there's also just to confuse things a bit more. There's Darius the Mede. <laughs> so this is, this is Darius the Persian. This is uh, later on down here. We have Darius the uh, the second, who was is also the Persian, but there is a Darius the Mede that will show up as well. This is Xerxes. This is Esther's Xerxes. This is the guy. He he comes in and reigns here, and then we have Artaxerxes 
the first. If you read this passage, what you're having here is we have the time frame of Cyrus, we have the time frame of Darius, we have the time frame of Artaxerxes, and then we also have Ahasuerus. That is a big span of time. A very big span of time. How do we have all this going on? Because the temple is finished building right here. Right there towards the beginning, Esther tells us the, that uh, this was done right, right, I'm sorry, Ezra tells us in chapter 6, we'll get there pretty soon, tells us that right there, believe the sixth year of Darius's reign, the temple is finished. Begins over here, first year of Cyrus, it ends over in here. How do we have the mention of Artaxerxes and who is Ahasuerus? So these are some of the problems that come in and there's all kinds of stuff. I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but I did spend a good bit of time going over all the history that was here and the possibilities of who could these guys be. It is not uncommon in these kings that they have more than one name. Even in with the, the kings of Israel, very often we have them going by one name in Kings and another name in Chronicles. It is not uncommon for kings to have more than one name. Sometimes these terms, Artaxerxes, Darius, may also be part of the title. They could understand it that way when they're writing. Ezra understands this as part of the title, but we don't. We understand it more as a name. So some of that is, is lost. We're not exactly sure about all those kind of things, but we'll try and get you uh, some kind of an explanation on this as we go on through here. So this is the problems that we run run into is uh, how do we get all these kings involved. So let's keep on reading before we get to some of the explanation. This is a copy of the letter that they sent to him to King Artaxerxes. Again, King Artaxerxes over here in the end. From your servants, the men of the region beyond the river and so forth, let it be known to the king that the Jews who came up from you have come to us at Jerusalem and are building the rebellious and evil city and are finishing its walls and repairing the foundation. Let it be known, let it now be known to the king that if this city is built and the walls completed, they will not pay tax, tribute, or custom, and the king's treasury will be diminished. Now they accuse with certainty if this city is built. They don't talk about the people, they talk about the city. When I read this, I get the same sensation that the news media has today when they talk about SUVs. You know, the SUV drove through the crowd. The SUV killed, you know, they sometimes have those mass murders where the guy just ride into the SUV. The SUV, no, no, there was a driver. There was a, there was a man who drove the SUV. It was not the SUV. It was the driver. You know, this gun killed. No, the gun didn't do it. It was the person behind the gun. Just like it's the person behind the knife. Just like it's the person behind the bomb. It's the people behind it that make it that way. Even back here in the book of Ezra. This is the letter that they wrote. Ezra somehow got a copy of this. And he wrote it right in there. Let it be known to the king that if this city is built and the walls completed, they will not pay tax, tribute, or custom, and the king's treasury will be diminished. Verse 14. Now, because we received support from the palace, it was not proper for us to see 
the king's dishonor. Therefore, we want we have sent and informed the king. In other words, there's nothing in this for us. We're just doing it out of the good nature of our heart because we want to see the king protected because we get things from the king. The king helps take care of us. We want to make sure that the king's treasuries are not diminished and we think that if this city is finished, your treasuries are going to be diminished and we don't want to see that happen or you be dishonored. That's garbage. They only have, they do not want to see this thing completed and so they're coming up with any reason that they can to do this. Same thing happens today and it's happened all between this time and today. They make up whatever they can that seems more pleasant to hear instead of the actual cause. We don't want to see this done. So he goes on verse 15, that search may be made in the book of the records of your fathers and you will find in the book of the records and know that this city is a rebellious city, harmful to kings and provinces, that they have incited sedition within the city in former times for which cause this city was destroyed. We inform the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are completed, the result will be that you will have no dominion beyond the river. Now, I could, I'm not in that time. I could tear this letter apart. They're going to say that a few thousand refugees that come from the, uh, that were in, in um, Babylon, that were in captivity, that really have no real means themselves are going to come in and take all the rubble that was there from the destroyed city and make a city that is so powerful and so strong that it will ward off the Persian Empire. That's what they're saying. If you let this city get finished, they're going to keep you at bay and you will not have any dominion over here. They're going to take it all. Because they've had other kings that have done this. Well, David took over that area. Solomon maintained it. There were other kings that came up and, and they did some of the same things. But not many. Most of the time, Israel was not following God and they were subservient to other nations that were around them. But David certainly was one that, that uh, caused other nations to, to come under them. And a few others. We saw they, they had tribute money that was paid to them. Now, what they say is true of the inhabitants of the old city. But is it true of the returning exiles? It was true. of uh, That's what they had done. They were rebellious. God even told them, surrender. They weren't going to surrender. They were rebellious to God. They were rebellious to the king of Babylon. They were just rebellious people. But the people that are in the land are rebellious people too. They are in the land because of their rebellion and because the king had come, the king of Assyria at that time, he had come and he had attacked their city, not, not Israel. Israel was moved to other places. But they attacked other cities. They were rebellious and they pulled them out of their places and put them in these areas. So the reason that they are there is because their cities were rebellious too. But they're just not near those cities that they once inhabited. They're in new cities. Isn't it amazing though? They can sit there and accuse. And you could shoot this, shoot holes in this all day long. But that old king, he, um, he put them there for a reason. Because he wanted to remove them from their homeland. 
So many people that point fingers publicly, legally, or informally kick and scream when put up to the same scrutiny that they, they themselves have put up, put other people under. There's no better example for that than the media. The media we have today. They will scrutinize so many politicians, scrutinize so many people in uh, public positions. And if you ever turn the tables on them and try and say, hey, what about you? What about your life? Well, freedom of press. Oh, well, you can't, you can't check up on us. No, that's, that is just not right. That will kick and scream. And uh, I have no time for people that want to do that. Let's go on to verse 17. The king sent an answer to Raham, the commander. Shimshai, the scribe, to the rest of their companions who dwell in Samaria and to the remainder beyond the river, peace and so forth. <laughs> the letter which you sent to us has been clearly read before me and I gave the command and the search has been made and it was found that this city in former times has revolted against kings and rebellion and sedition have been fostered in it. As if it's the city's fault. No, it's not the city's fault. It's the people that were in it. There have also been mighty kings over Jerusalem who have ruled over all that region beyond the river and tax and tribute and custom were paid to them. That was a long time ago. And they had a lot more formidable uh, armies, uh, riches, things to draw from. They don't have that now. Now give the command to make these men cease that this city may not be built until the command is given by me. Take heed now that you do not fail to do this, why should damage increase to the hurt of the kings? So he's empowering them. He says, I want you to go and to give the command to make these men cease. Now, they're only empowered because the king gave them the command. That That's it. Cyrus gave the command to build. And they were building all the days of Cyrus. Cyrus never stopped this. So here's the question that comes up with this, how do we get to the place where, if we can pull our graphic back up again, how do we get to the place where Artaxerxes is involved? How do we get from the temple being started here in the beginning, finished here in the beginning of Darius's reign, how do we get Artaxerxes all the way up over here involved with the letter? Can you see where that would be a problem? Now, some of the explanations that help make some of this thing fit is that Ahasuerus is actually Cambyses, right here. That this is actually the Ahasuerus that we have in the chapter. That could be another name. That Artaxerxes is Darius I. That is a possibility. It makes sense because it's, uh, it is likely that in Ezra and Nehemiah, Darius and Artaxerxes are the same king. Now the scenario presented is that at the beginning of Cambius's reign, that a letter, a complaint letter was sent to him because it talks about a letter to Ahasuerus and then it talks about a letter to Artaxerxes. This is Ezra writing in one chapter. How does he call the same king by two different names? That would be extremely confusing. And any historian who's trying to write something for people to understand in later years would know you cannot do that in the same chapter. If you call the same guy this two different names, where well, they're going to get confused down the road. You may know who he is now, 
but it, it won't be known later on. So what we probably could be saying here is that there were two letters of complaint written by the people of the day. The work was started with Cyrus. Cyrus would not give in to, to shutting this thing down. And they continued to build the altar and the temple during those days. Cambyses, he, he uh, got the letter and ignored it. He is uh, uh, the son of Cyrus. He enjoyed his father's love for the Jewish nation. And, oh, I, I didn't write it down and I forgot something. There was um, something in the history. There was... I might get some of this wrong because I'm doing it strictly from memory. I didn't write this down. Cyrus, when he went over to Egypt, tore down some of the temples that the, the pharaohs had built to some of the false gods there. But there were synagogues in Egypt that he left alone because he respected the Jewish religion, which is why he authorized the building of the temple. He has a love for that. He has a respect for that. It seems like he put the same thing into his son because his son seemed to follow the same pattern of his father in dealing with the foreign idols and religions. Now, I'm not saying that they were 100% God-fearing. I'm just saying they had a, a more of a sensitivity to the things of the Jewish religion. And he seemed to carry that. So if the complaint letter came to him, he ignored it and did nothing with it. So when we get to Darius, they send a second letter to Artaxerxes, which would be Darius the first. And in the first year of Darius, he shut it down. Now, this makes sense because I did a lot of reading on Darius to understand some things about him. And if you want some historical reading, read some stuff on this guy. This guy went through the mill. It was his beginning years were really turbulent. Every place he went, people were betraying him. There was rebellion. He came and he took the throne. And there was a, there was that uh, little guy, the, the, the pseudo uh, guy who, the fake guy who came in for six months. That was part of the reason why Darius had so much trouble. Because when he came in after it, and the way that he, he uh, the other guy died, and, and uh, I think he was murdered, it threw a lot of suspicion at Darius. And so he comes in with this suspicion. But then this kingdom over here rebelled against his reign. And so he had to take the army out, and he had to go out and, and, and quell that rebellion. While that's going on, another part of the kingdom rebelled. And then there was news that some of his close uh, confidence, some of his generals, some of the people on his team were rebelling. And he was dealing with this internally. He, he couldn't sleep at night, it seemed, because he was always wondering, who is against me? And this went on for a number of years. As soon as he took the throne, he was under this kind of scrutiny. He was under this kind of pressure. No one knew, is he going to make it? And so a lot of people were wondering, should we stay with Darius or should we find someone else to uh, align ourselves with? Because if he goes down, we go down with him. So they, some people were just looking, who else can we go with? Is there anyone else who has some strength? And Darius has to keep fighting all these things in his first couple of years. So if you are Darius, this is the history that's around Darius. And your first couple of years, this is you are fighting Rebellion here, backstabbing here, 
uh, undermining over here. Just for the first couple of years, this is what you're facing. And you get a letter talking about the Jewish people going to rebel too. What would you do? You'd shut it down. That's just shut it down. I'll figure this out later on. Right now, I got to take care of this part of the kingdom. I got to take care of this part of the kingdom. I got to do this, deal with this over here. And once he got all that settled, and it took him a couple of years to get it all settled. Once he got it all settled, then he took a close look at what was going on there. And Darius issued a decree to start the building of the temple again. For which the temple was finished in the sixth year of Darius. Now, that scenario makes sense of all the different names that we have of the kings. More so than looking at the Artaxerxes that is way back over here in uh, Nehemiah's time. When Nehemiah comes along, the, um, the temple is done. Now, to help us out with this, I think I put it in here. I did. I'm going to, I'm going to redo some of the timeline here, just kind of play out the whole timeline for you. When Jeshua and Zerubbabel and all the people that came with them, when they returned to Jerusalem in the first year of Cyrus, they built the altar. That was the first thing they did. Then they began to rebuild the temple. That was in Ezra chapter 3. Soon, they encountered the opposition, which is Ezra chapter 4. In verse 4, discouraging of the people. And they frightened them from building the temple. So the people left off work. They left off work, the building of the temple. And they devoted themselves instead to something that they were not, they felt like they wouldn't get too much opposition for, which is, since we can't build the house of God without all this opposition, let's build our own house. And so they set out to build their own house and they started to put together some semblance of a wall. If you will recall, we're going to get to Nehemiah, but not for a little bit yet. But if you will recall, when Nehemiah comes, there is some semblance of a wall present. And so they, these people could have been t- taking their focus from the temple. They got discouraged and they went over here and they did this. Let me read for you a passage. Haggai, I'm sorry, Haggai, chapter 1, 1 through 6. In the second year of King Darius, in the second year of King Darius, remember who he is. From our graphic. In the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltai, governor of, of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, is it time for you to yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink but are not filled with drink. You clothe yourself but no one is warm and he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. So that's what he's saying here. He's saying, look, you're trying so hard to make ends meet and you have put the cart before the horse. You are doing your own house. You're doing your own things. And the Lord's house is over here. 
The Lord brought you back from Chaldea to come over here and the assignment was to build the house of God. You got discouraged and you quit and you started to work on your own houses and you got your own houses working real nice and you're living in these nice houses but the house of God is still in ruins. And so the prophet is sent to the children of Israel to wake up Get out there. We need to get on this house, the house of God, and we need to build it. So they listened to the word of the, of the prophet, and they set out to start building. The people may have gotten upset about all that, and they may have uh, pursued some things with uh, Darius. And Darius may have come back and said, nope, we're going to go ahead and do that. I want that built. Cyrus ordered it to be built. We are going to carry that out, carry out that order and go ahead and do it. So, when they send the letter, the letter that we read here in, in Ezra, they mention the building of the wall. This throws off some people because the wall is not built until Nehemiah comes along, which is the Artaxerxes that they seem to mention. But if the building of the wall was the the small semblance of a wall that they were building, that Nehemiah comes upon when he comes into the land, then this is what they were getting upset at, and this is what they included in their letter to King Darius. And then Darius eventually said, look, go ahead and finish. And so in the sixth year, they finished. So he, he wrote them a letter. He says, no more work on the wall. When Darius writes the letter, he says, no more work on the wall. That's what was in the letter. But he did not say no more work on the temple. And so he does authorize the work on the temple. He first tells them, shut, shut it down. And they did shut it down. But then he says, no, no more work on the wall. But it seems like the original, original law from Cyrus, work on the temple. And they were not forbidden to work on the temple. So the prophet Haggai Haggai, I'm sorry, was, was raised up. He told them about their sin of not doing this. That if you're not working on the things of God, if you're not uh, giving first to the things of God and doing what, what God wants, then your own fingers are, are not going to work so well. So they didn't continue to work on the walls. They didn't continue to work on their own house instead of the house of God. They built the house of God and in the sixth year of Darius. They have it finished. It is completed. After that, Ezra, Ezra arrives and noted that both the temple and a little bit of the wall is completed. We'll find that out as we get through here. I don't believe we'll see that until Ezra chapter 6, but we will soon see that. Let's get back here to Ezra chapter 4. Hopefully that helps you make some sense out of this. I read through, I would say, six different scenarios. And I'm reading this one. That's this. No, this, this is not right. This is. Not, I went through a bunch of... Nope, this is not right. This is the only one that on the inside, I, I, can say, I can see this working. I can see this, how this would unfold. There are other theories. There are other people who put things out there. Uh, I didn't see that any of them made sense enough to even bring up for you. So I, I read them so you don't have to. But you can if you want. You can go out there and find them just like I did. Verse 23, Now when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rahum, 
Shemshai, the scribe, and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem against the Jews and by force of arms made them cease. Thus the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased, and it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. It's finished in the sixth year of Darius. It is discontinued until the second year. So it does stop here. It doesn't stop for too terribly long because Darius is the one who gives the decree, which would have been early on in his reign. And it picks up again in the second year of Darius. So there we have maybe a year and a half by the time. You can't just send a letter and, you know, get it instant. If Once Darius took the throne and they sent the letter, you're having months go by until the time that he gets out there. Then they got to deal with the letter and then they got to send the message back. So... I'm saying at least six months, probably minimum, half the first uh, six months of his reign, nothing happened on this thing. But then somewhere around there is probably when he wrote back to them and said, all right, you tell them to hold up. And then it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of, of Darius. So they come on in. They're empowered by the king's command and they rush in to shut down the thing by force. The king never said for them to shut this thing down by force. He said, tell them the command. He said, relay this command on them. And that's what they were supposed to do. But they didn't. They came on in. I mean, who's going to stop them? So they came into a group of people who really have no weapons that we have seen. When Nehemiah comes in, you all know that they were building the wall and having a sword in hand. But we don't know that they even had that much here at Ezra's time. In the book of Ezra, during this this part. Didn't seem like they had a whole lot of... uh of supplies so they're coming up to pretty much unarmed people with arms and forcing them to stop so these are the kind of things that they faced they faced people who tried to discourage them from the inside they faced people who made their work frustrating discouraging and tried to get them to stop got some of them to stop for a little while and wrote letters to the king when they got there when they got a new king in there it didn't seem like uh, the king's previous wanted anything to do with any kind of a legal way to stop this. But Darius, because of some of the things that were going on in his kingdom, said, all right, let's put a stop to this. But then he put it, he restarted it later on. He didn't let it sit for too long. But this is the kind of things that they had done. They got discouraged. They did quit. But Haggai came, uh, Haggai came over and he said, yo, get back to it. God expected them to get back to it. I think that same attitude is there with us today. We have people that are frustrating us. We have people that are discouraging us. We have things that are going on that discourage us from going on and doing what God has told us to do, what God has put on us to do. And and don't think that God should sit back there and say, oh, you poor baby. Oh, you poor baby. Oh, it's so rough for you. No, he's sitting back there sending the, the hay guys around. Get up. Get over there. I didn't discourage you. I encourage you. I've told you the things that are going on. It's the enemy that's telling you this. Why are you listening to the enemy? Get out there and do it. And as long as we listen to the voice of the enemy, you will get discouraged. You will get frustrated. You will get have a hard time doing the things that God has put on you to do. Don't listen to the voice of the enemy. Keep going. Listen to the voice of his prophets. Listen to the voice of the teachers that are in the... Listen to the word. The word is there for us. What does God's word say about it? What does God's word say about the enemy? And that's where we need to go. That's where they needed to go. 
Now, it makes no difference to the kingdom of darkness that their facts were tainted. Because they did not give clear facts. They didn't care about that. All they cared about was getting their objective done, which was get the work to stop. So they wrote about the history, but they left out a whole lot of parts. There are people today who will try and rewrite history, tell you about the history of our nation, tell you about the history of nations before us, tell you about history here and there, and just rewrite it. And then tell you this is how it happened. All for the purpose of, of achieving a certain type of good. Don't listen to them. You have access. Boy, we have inf- access to information. We have the ability to find out all kinds of things about history. We don't have to rely on these kind of people that are in the, in the Word here, in the book of Ezra. We don't have to rely on them at all. This is what they did. Darius listened, but understand, Darius was under a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure from all the places. But once he got that pressure taken care of, he came back to it. He looked at the facts of history. He says, no, let the work go on. Cyrus decreed this. I have nothing to stop this from going on. You let that work go on. It went on and it was completed in Darius's reign. As we said, the sixth year. There are people who will try and rewrite history. They will try and rewrite some of the things that have... Uh, I just... I don't, I don't listen to the things that Joe has to say. I think he had some State of the Union thing that he was trying to pull off. Uh, I have no time for Joe. I will not give him any time. The anger I feel to the things that that man does or the, pe- the people are doing through him hits, uh, for me, all kinds of heights. But I heard him... Somebody played the tape on something I was listening to, just rewrite history. They said, are you responsible for the inflation? Well, no, it was that way when I got here. I'm thinking, my word, how do people actually buy into that? How do they not remember what the price of gas was when Joe came into office? How do they not remember that? (laughs) We have pictures that go up, flash on the screen. Here's what the price of gas was in January 2020. Look at the price of it now. You're not responsible. <laughs> you have shut down oil production. You have pleaded for nations to make oil and to send it to us so we can buy it from them. How are you not responsible? Rewrite history. That's just one thing that he, but Joe rewrites history constantly. He's done it all his, all his years. Not just his years as president. He did it his years as a senator. He did it his years as the vice president. He's always rewriting history. And, uh, people let him get away with it. But, don't let people rewrite it. Know what your history is. Know what has gone on and stand up and say it. No, when we took over this company, when this company hired me, this is what was going on. And stand your ground and state, and state those things. Don't let people come in and discourage you, frustrate you, or undermine you by rewriting things in the company, rewriting things that have happened in the family. Whatever it might be. Don't let that go on. you got family members who want to rewrite history and try and say that you did this or you did that. No, don't let them do that. Go back and say, no, 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 no. No, when that happened, this is what was going on. And you make sure that you go back to, the, to how things work. If you made an error, if you did something that wasn't right and they're bringing that up, then you just say, you know what? I did that and it wasn't right. And I did this to fix it. I ask for forgiveness, whatever it might be. Or if you didn't, ask for it then. 
and just stand up and take ownership of the thing. Don't try and brush it off. But don't let people rewrite history on you. That's what these folks are doing. Darius will go back and he will look at this more thoroughly. And once he does, he opens it back up again. And he says, no, we're not going to cancel that. Go ahead and make that, uh, finish that temple. I put this in your outline for you. The enemies of what is good don't care to enlighten, only to spotlight what will lead to their desired conclusions. That's all they care about. That's what we see in the press today that we have uh, around us. That's what we see with politicians. That's what we see even sometimes with uh, some of the people that call themselves uh, ministers of God. They're not there to enlighten. They just want to put a spotlight on what will lead to people to come to their desired conclusions. And those conclusions are whatever they derive will stop your progress. They just want to stop you from progress. They don't care how. They don't care what people latch on to or what they believe just so they stop your progress. They want to stop your progress in the company just like they tried to do it with Daniel and others. They want to stop your progress wherever it is that you are. They do not want you to succeed. They see you as a threat. Now, we looked at a couple of different kings here in this one, but understand this. Kings do not always do what God desires. People who think, and I still hear people out there, they think, well, if this king, if this president, if this congressman, if this whoever, whatever leader, if this leader gets in, it's going to be good, it's going to be bad, they're going to do, well, if this leader is in, well, then God wanted them in, and so whatever they do is right. Nope. God declared that his intention was to bring the people back after 70 years and for them to rebuild. That was declared by God. That's his purpose. That's what he wants done. King Cyrus was the one who was open to this and God used him to authorize this to be done. But another king shut it down. That was Darius. But Darius put it back on, opened up and he got it going. But he did say the wall's not going to be rebuilt. That had, that had to come from Artaxerxes under Nehemiah. That would eventually come up that way. Just because a ruler authorizes or shuts something down doesn't mean it's the hand of God or the will of God. It doesn't mean that. Just because Darius shut it down didn't mean God wanted it shut down. Just because opposition came against Israel doesn't mean that God wanted this thing to be, be quit. In fact, he sent his prophets as we went over Haggai. Get going. This is what I said to, to be done. Yeah, but what about the decree? Know what God wants to do. And support those rulers who look to accomplish it. That's our role as, as Christians. Know what God wants to do. And support those rulers who want to accomplish it. Oppose those who are opposed to the things of God. Bad leaders will do bad things. They'll even do ungodly things. Because they're bad. And God will not override their will to accomplish His. He has never done that. He didn't do it here. He didn't do it other places in the Word of God. So be careful who you put your voice behind. You got to be real careful saying, well, I'm, I'm with this one. I'm not with this one. You be careful what you put your voice behind. God will, and he did find someone in leadership who will make this right again. And Darius did come along and he made it right. But the work of God wanted, wanted done had to be hindered for a bit of a time. 
It was hindered uh, probably more years because of discouragement that uh, they had faced more so than the legal part. It seemed like the legal thing was only for uh, uh, maybe a year, year and a half. Now, we can know the will of God by modern issues. Just because they are modern issues doesn't mean we can't know what the will of God is. I wrote down some modern issues and we can know what the will of God is. Can we know from His Word the will of God on abortion? Boy, we sure can. We know what He says about killing babies. He was mad at Israel for doing it. He was mad at the Samaritans when they picked up that same practice and did it in the land. He was mad at the other nations who picked up these practices and did it. And the list would go on. God was, does not like it when people start killing babies, whether they're in the womb or, or newly born. Same-sex marriage. Well, we know what this is. In fact, the Word of God even has a word for it. It calls it the perverted persons of the land. Homosexuality. The Word of God comes right out and says what the will of God is on these things. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to go out there and, and do harm to people that are sinners in these areas. We're supposed to go out there and minister to them and help bring them along. That's not our role. Never is our role. Never was a... That's not what we're supposed to go after. But I know what the will of God is on it. Um, even illegal immigration. Do you know the Word of God states what God's will is on that? What does the Word of God say about Israel and their, and their nation and who they were supposed to let in? Who they were supposed to have dwell in the land? They were supposed to have people dwell in the land who would submit to God, who would submit to those ways. And if they, they would not, then no. Don't be in here. Um, even kickbacks to politicians. That seems like a modern issue. No, it goes back into the Word of God. There were people that did kickbacks in here. You remember Eli, his sons, they took kickbacks. And God says, I don't like that. And they wouldn't uh, judge themselves, so God judged them and, and they were dead. I know what the will of God is on those. They're not the only ones. There were other ones who tried to do the same kind of things. Not trying to go through all that. Forced belief of anything to be true or false. Do we have examples in the Word of God of governments, of kings, of leaders, who tried to force people to believe that anything was true or that something was false. And yes, we do. And whenever that was going going on, God came against it. God wants us to believe what is true because we choose to believe what is true. He wants us to believe things that are false because we choose to believe that they are false. That's false because my God taught me about this. That's how He wants us to go people that are going to say, no, that is false and you will not teach in the name of Jesus anymore because we have deemed that to be false. Uh, should we listen to you or should we listen to God? See, all these issues, we have the we have the will of God on it and I got to stay with it. Coerced worship or submission to a thing. What does the word of God have to say about people who coerce worship? Well, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar when he forced people to bow down to his image? God didn't like that. And we saw what happened. He showed up in the fiery furnace to deliver his only three people who wouldn't be coerced. And the whole thing crumbled down after that. And uh, there were other people who did this as well. Even you go back into the mountain, Mount Sinai, and the people coerced how many folks into worship of these uh, 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 golden calves that were there. But one group of people said, we're not going to be coerced. That was the Levites. And God was very pleased with that. They would not go along with that. But he wasn't very pleased with the folks who decided to force others. 
In fact, we've uh, spent some time on that before. And you remember that Hur was a very prominent member of society, of leadership, up until that episode. And then he disappeared. It seems that he stood up against this crowd and they killed him. That made Aaron go along with him. But anyway, that's for another another time. Idolatrous worship. We have a lot of idolatrous worship goes on in this country. Is God's, what do we know about from, from God's will on that? We know what he thinks about idolatrous worship. We know what he thinks about promoting falsehoods as true. And we've got people all over this country that try and pr- promote what is false as though it is true. And if you don't believe it, pressure comes upon you. Uh, covering or hiding up, hiding the truth. Remember when David tried to cover up and hide the truth. How did God deal with that? Came out and he exposed it. Other people did the same thing. Haman was trying to cover up what he was actually trying to do. And that came out when it came out that he died. God's not up for this cover up. Nope, you want to do something, come on out and do it. God even says, look, I'll tell you my plans. You want to know what my plans are? Here they are. Remember when Micaiah came out and said, here's my plan. My plan is to lure you into battle so that you'll die. (laughs) You want to know my plan? Here we go. We're not trying to cover up anything. And so Jehoshaphat says, uh, he, he gets in there with, with the, the king of Israel. And the king of Israel says, look, you put on your robes. I'm not going to put on mine. Ah, how dumb does Jehoshaphat have to be? He heard the prophet. They're coming after the king. So you look like the king. And all the army came after Jehoshaphat because he looked like a king. So he took his uh, hood off. No, no, no. I'm Jehoshaphat. Oh, all right. You're not the one we want. God reveals his plan. He, in prophecy, he speaks. This is my plan. This is what's going to happen. He's into revealing it. Darkness is not. Darkness is in the concealing. And the people that are into concealing are not on the side of God. I know the will of God on these things. Now, I just, I didn't take all of our current issues. I just took some of them. But you can find the will of God on modern day current issues. It's not hard to find them. We may not like it. We may not want to stand and fight for it, but we can certainly find out what they are. And when we get involved in the political area, when we get involved with people that are being uh, voted, I need to find out how do they line up with the things of God. Well, there's nobody out there who lines up 100% with God. Fine. Go off, go before God. God, which is the one, which is the one that stands for you the most? And you go after those. You put your, your voice behind those. There's, there's not a whole lot of perfect men around. We don't have, uh, uh, even David wasn't perfect. Solomon's church turned out to be not so perfect. But God still used them. And God can still use some of these other people that are there. There are kings, four different kings that were mentioned in here. We helped you make some sense as to who they were. Some of them did what God wanted to do and some of them did not. We need to make sure that we do all we can to empower those that are going to further the kingdom of God, further His will and not empower those who will not. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for things like we see here in Ezra chapter 4. Political powers can have a big effect on the things that God wants to do. You don't override their will. It's something that you told us in your word you won't do and something that has been demonstrated over and over. But as in the case of Pharaoh, you can make it very convenient for them to obey. And we know that they will. Some resist. Help us, Father, in our life, in our time, that we can see the ones that your hand is upon. 
and we can put our voice behind them. I thank you for it in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I hope that makes a little bit more sense out of, out of the uh, kings of this particular chapter. If you want to, you can do your own searches on this and read some of the history. Some of it's pretty boring. I will tell you that. Any uh, comments, questions, anything that anyone has to add, add on here? We have one coming. Oh, am I? Do I need to get someplace else? Where you are. I'm just trying to <laughs> maneuver things. Okay. I'm trying to get to other nice people. Uh, Sharon has a couple of comments. Let's see if we can find them. Oh, there they are. Just trying to find our people in case they have comments. Gotcha. Uh, Sharon says, "Good reminder to keep doing what God has told us." to do even in the face of discouragement and then her other comment says I love how you tied in some of the current issues to this Bible teaching great okay appreciate that all right well then next week we are on chapter 5 and I will put up on Facebook some of the things. I did not spend any time going up to chapter 5. This took up uh, just the history on all this. <clears throat> I wanted to make sure I had a really good handle on it. So I spent a good bit of time just reading over all that. to, to make. Sure. I'm not telling you most of the stuff that I read because, again, a lot of it was boring. But I just wanted to make sure that what I was telling you had uh, uh, the truth behind it. And so I wanted to, just, to spend time to make sure that that was, that was right. That um, these kings, uh, we understand them as... Uh, I laid them out there for you. It makes the passage look a lot, make a lot more sense. Are you so looking Darius, up something? Sorry. So Darius the Mede. So the Persian um, Empire, the Mede, Mede Empire. So Darius the Mede came after this timeline here? If, uh, I didn't get to spend too much time on, on that part of it. Um, oh, I also didn't let you know about this. In Daniel's, in Daniel's weeks, uh, the 49 weeks seems to encompass the time of the building of the temple. And uh, I didn't get to lay that all out there for you. But uh, that does seem to to come into that. Um, ask me that question one more time. No, Darius He's not on the, the I believe, I didn't get to go back and look on that because I was spending so much time on the kings of Persia. I believe Darius the Mede came up earlier. Oh. Because if you remember Daniel's vision of this Medo-Persian is that the the one side would come up first and then the other side, the stronger side, would come up after. The Medes came up first, but then the Persians came up and the Persians dominated the uh, the empire. So once they came to power, uh, Darius the Mede, I'm pretty sure he was before Cyrus, but I'm going completely on the top of my head there. Um, I have not looked at that aspect of the history for a, a good bit of time. I don't see him on that. That's a list of the kings of the Persia pretty sure that uh, Darius the Mede came before that, but he may have been in coinciding with some of the others. Um, I'm not as sure. But the Medes were the secondary kingdom. The Persians were the ones who ruled it. And um, Xerxes is the one that we know from Esther. And Artaxerxes is his son that came up after, after that one. And he's the one who uh, authorized Nehemiah to come and, and to build the wall. But that spanned from... 
Darius all the way up until Nehemiah, there was very little wall, just that little pittance of a, of a wall. They had houses and they had the temple. But um, that, was, that was about it. I don't want to cut you off if you're looking up something. Okay. Well, if anybody, if you look over some of these things, you come up with any other questions, you can feel free to send them over to me and I'll try and uh, help you out with that. Ezra is a historical book. It's not a prophetic book. It is a history book. It's telling us some of the history. Ezra wrote these things down for us to understand the history. And um, that's what we want to do is to understand the history of that era when they were coming back into the land. All right, all. Thanks for coming on out tonight. And we'll be back on Sunday. We get to um, take on that the topic of the, the curses that came upon the, the woman and the man. We're going to, uh, a lot of misconceptions, just like we have with the serpent. There's a lot of misconceptions over what that is. So uh, we'll spend some time on it. <clears throat> I don't know if we'll get past the one with the, the curse on the woman. But um, you know, a whole lot of uh, ladies want to know, why is it that the, um, uh, the childbirth was, was so affected on this? And, and so there's, there's reasons for it. We'll spend some time on that. Uh, reasons that will help us in understanding the whole plan of God, not just understanding that particular episode with the curse. But that will be up on Sunday.